You are listening to the Food Means Business Podcast, which features the personal stories and secret ingredients behind what it's like to abandon your day job to start a CPG food and beverage business. I'm Janaba Johnson-Jones, former marketing executive turned entrepreneur and founder of food business incubator Hudson Kitchen. Join our community of fellow food business owners and subject matter experts to learn and laugh with us as we explore a startup world that's a little more culinary and a lot less corporate these days. So, Ibrahim, welcome to the Food Means Business Podcast. Thank you for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Good. So we would love for you to start and tell us your story, your transition from going from corporate America to a food business founder. Yeah, so if it's okay with you, I'll even take a little step before that. Sure, so I sure. grew up in Brooklyn originally in a really big family. So I have nine siblings, 11 nieces and nephews. And then when my eldest daughter was born, she was the 12th cousin, which is where the brand gets its name from. You I love that name, by the way. It's fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you know, I always like to start there just because food was really central to like my experience growing up in such a big family. That was how we connected with each other. It's how we showed each other love. It's how we celebrated holidays. And so I always had a connection to food, you know, as we all do, of course, but it felt very intense for me. And so I always knew I wanted to work in the food industry. Fast forward many years, I started my career at General Mills, which is, of course, an international, you know, multinational food company. I had a chance to work on a lot of different brands. So I worked on the conventional side of the business, on Gushers, Fruit Roll-Up, Fruit by the Foot, Progresso Soup, and then also had a chance to work on the natural and organic side of the business. So they own brands like Laura Bar, Food Should Taste Good, Annie's Organic. And it was during my time working in that natural and organic space that I really fell in love with this idea and this ethos around like the quality of food, right? And just being, being mindful of like what we're eating, what we're putting in our body, how that food is grown, what impact it's having on the people who make it and the planet and so on. And so all that stuff resonated with me. And the gap for myself was just around like the flavors. I grew up in this very much kind of black and Latino melting pot in New York where you know, I was eating jerk chicken and yellow rice and black eyed peas and empanadas. And like the types of food that I was eating wasn't really what you found in natural grocery stores. And certainly not at that time. And it's evolved a lot in the last five years. But at the time, it was really hard to find a lot of this stuff. So the goal with a dozen cousins really was just to see if I could bring those two worlds together. You know, I wanted to create a brand that felt really cultural, really authentic, that echoed the communities I grew up in and that I'm still a part of, but also at the same time, leverage everything that I had learned about ingredient quality and sourcing and innovation, et cetera. So we launched the business in 2019. We started with beans. So we have a line of ready to eat beans that are all fully cooked and seasoned. They're made with real vegetables and spices. They're cooked in avocado oil. The following year, we launched a line of rices that are cooked in bone broth. So they have seven grams of protein, a few grams of collagen. Last year, we launched our seasoning sauces. So they essentially help you make a restaurant quality entree in 20 minutes or less. And when you put it all together, really, we have this kind of complete meal solution, right? You can grab a few of our pouches and put together um, an entire meal from vegetable grain to protein. So that's the intro to the business in a nutshell, but I'll pause there and and see if you have any follow-up questions. Sure. So when I was reading your story, it made me think about growing up because my parents are from the South. And so every dinner was Sunday dinner. So it was like some other pork shops and biscuits and all that stuff. So it made me think about that. And I remember being in my room, doing my homework and smelling that good food that I was, we were going to eat together. So that was really exciting. So thank you for the memories there. But my question to follow up for you, though, is why beans? You mentioned a bunch of foods during the intro. Why did you start there? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I uh, started with beans for two reasons. The first was that like symbolically and strategically, what I wanted to do with this brand was to combine taste, health, and culture. Those were kind of the three pillars of the brand, right? And so I spent a lot of time thinking about that trifecta. And there are a lot of foods that hit on two of them, but not three of them, right? Where it's like, it's cultural, it tastes good, but it's probably not that healthy, right? Or <laughs> it's really healthy, but it doesn't taste that good or so on and so forth. And so for me, beans was the sweet spot because like pound for pound, first of all, legumes are some of the healthiest foods on the planet, right? When you think about protein, fiber, vitamins and minerals, you could eat beans every day, multiple times a day, and you'd be better off for it, right? So from just a pure health perspective, it's unimpeachable in terms of like the health quality of beans, right? Secondly, from a taste perspective, beans are such a great palate for flavor, right? Our canvas for flavor in the sense that like, you know, you put some onions, garlic, a little bit of fresh peppers, a little avocado oil, like these dishes, in my opinion, they're very savory, they're very decadent, like I enjoy eating them. And then finally, culturally speaking, there's this almost emotional connection between beans and so many Black and Latino cuisines, whether you're talking about peas and rice in Jamaica or Chunda in Trinidad or red beans in, in, in New Orleans or black beans in Cuba. Like you could go down the list, right? You have these beans that are really culturally entrenched in terms of how we eat. And so that was the reason it was just, it was the perfect first product for us. I always intended for the brand to be beyond that, but I, I still am really happy that we started with from a business perspective, you know, the bean category is also very attractive to us just because there wasn't a lot of innovation at the time. And again, that's changed in recent years. And since we've launched, I think there's a lot more activity in the category. But when we started, it really was just this sea of canned, unseasoned, kind of private label beans. And we felt like there was a great opportunity to bring like some convenience to the category and some quality to the category. And again, we're really proud of what we've done there. It really does make a difference. I've had the black beans and it's so easy to add to a meal at the end of the day. So you know, definitely really convenient for sure. I, I appreciate you saying that. There's so many people who they love beans. They're down to eat them, but they've never cooked a pot of beans. It's the whole like process of you having to like soak them and then cook them overnight. I don't have time for that or have the desire right, to do that. So it's nice that your product exists. Thank you. When you came up with the recipe, did family kind of inform the recipe and how you created it? Yeah, so they have some of them. So like our Creole red beans is a recipe straight out of my mother's like cookbook. You know what I mean? That was a dish that we ate a lot growing up, was just red beans and rice. However, as you can see, if you know, if you look at the brand, the palate is broad. You know, we pull from the southern US all the way through South America. So certainly not all those flavors are native to my family's heritage. But you know, the cool thing I always tell people is like these are known dishes, right? Like if you want to know what goes into Cuban black beans, just Google it. <laughs> you know, we didn't invent these flavors from scratch. The challenge really was like, how do we stay true to the flavor that already exists out in the world? You know what I mean? So that when somebody eats the product, they feel like, okay, cool. This tastes like so-and-so that I recognize that I remember that I love and not like something that they, this company just made up or messed up, you know? Right. Makes sense. So I want to talk about partnerships. I think that the secret to success in a business is having the right partnerships and kind of like bringing in the right people. We start our businesses and we're by ourselves. Who did you bring in to work with you first to help you get the business up and running? Yeah, it's a great question. First of all, for the first two years of the business, I was the only full-time employee at a dozen cousins. So in that first two years, it really was exercising like how do I get just enough of what I need from wherever I can get it? And so that looked like having sales brokers, for example, you know, our early sales brokers were instrumental in terms of getting us 
that early distribution, getting us in front of retailers. And obviously, you know, we were able to pay them just based on commissions, right? Like the sales that they were able to deliver for us. So that was like mm-hmm. a very efficient way to do it. Then over time, you know, we added other agencies and other fractional providers where they would help us out for a few hours a day or a few hours a week and what have you. We kept building like that for a bit. And then, you know, at the time of that third year, we hired our first full-time employee, which was a director of sales to really help push top line. We then followed up shortly thereafter with a supply chain manager to help make sure like everything delivered on time and as it was supposed to. We then added a marketing manager and we've expanded the team now a bit more than that. We have six full-time employees. Oh, wow. That was kind of how we approached the event. A lot of interns in the early days that helped out and are led particular projects. And so it definitely takes a village for sure. Definitely, definitely. On finding investors, like I have to imagine that's a marriage, right? Like you meet somebody, you're dating at first, you engage with them. And it's like, how do you find the right investors for you? First of all, I was blessed in that. I started my career in food and in CPG. So I had a network of like former colleagues and associates and people in the industry that I kind of had known for years already. And so, you know, we started off with just like three angel investors. They were all former food executives, people that I had worked with during the course of my career in different ways. And so they had like a high degree of just trust and faith in me and and vice versa. I had a high degree of trust in them. And then that nucleus enabled like our next fundraising round. Everyone who invested was like one degree removed from one of those people. Right. Mm -hmm. And then in the next round, everyone was like one degree removed from one of those people. And so thankfully I'm very fortunate in that I haven't had to bring on investors that were really unknown to me or not completely unknown to me. They all kind of started with this stronger link, if you will, or a relationship that I've built over time. Like in our most recent fundraising round, you know, we had an angel investor who was a a fellow founder who we met when we were both just kind of growing our businesses and their business, of course, ended up as like a rocket ship. And so they were able to come back and, and invest in ours. And so Yeah, I think it's just investing in relationships, being as patient as you can, being as discerning as you can. Like those would be my general thoughts as it comes to like the investing side. It's hard to be patient sometimes (laughs) because I think you see what's going on around you. And unfortunately, we do we see that and kind of it affects us in some type of way. So have you kind of kept your head down and focused on what you're doing and not what everybody else is doing? First of all, if I'm being honest, this is an ongoing struggle. I think any anytime you're in a competitive environment, which food and beverage or how, you know, a business is competitive, right? At the end of the day, if somebody buys my product, they're choosing not to buy something else, whatever that might be, right? Or they're choosing to give me money that they went and earned from somewhere else, right? Like either way, there's, there's a tension there and that's good, right? That's healthy. But as a competitor, then of course you're looking at, okay, what's the competition doing? Is this better than our version of this thing? And what can we do to get ahead of them? What makes us different from them? So I do think part of the game requires you to you know, to have your eyes open, to have your ears open, to see what other people are doing, to take inspiration from it at times, to swerve in the other direction at times, right? But like, it is an interactive thing. So that's, first of all, I can't can't say that I'm ignoring my competition, right? Now, with that said, in terms of just like having some peace and some mental health about it, right? Like, I think for me, number one, I have a vision and a goal for the company, which is very large and it's going to take many years to play out. And so, stuff that's happening like week to week and day to day is not really the thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like the goal, like I remember even when we first started the company, you know, what I would hear from investors and retailers at the time was like, well, this is just the beans category. Who's going to pay a premium for beans or 
these flavors are so niche, you know, global foods are too small, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, even just in the course of four years, it's been like a 180 on so many of those things right now. Retailers all kind of understand, yeah, we need more global flavors. People are more experimental with their palates. They want to try these foods. We now have four or five premium beans that are competing with us and, and doing similar things. And so the world evolves and changes. And I just try to stay focused on kind of the, the big picture and the North Star, if you will. Let's talk about retail partners. So you're in Whole Foods and also in Walmart, and they have vastly different target audiences. How is your product successful in both of those places? Yeah, it's funny. When we launched into Walmart, as you can imagine, it was like hotly debated topic amongst like my advisors and my peers who I talked to about it. And for the same reason that you alluded to, right, which is like, hey, Walmart is generally like a later stage retailer, very mass market, you know, appealing to different consumer than like a premium natural consumer. I had a different perspective, which was that our brand in particular, it relies on a level of like cultural authenticity and awareness, right? And so at the end of the day, Walmart is one of the most diverse retailers in America, both socioeconomically, politically, like you could go down the spectrum. And so my perspective was, man, they have so many Black and Latino families or families that are familiar with these cuisines that are shopping in Walmart every day. Like, I think they will like some jerk chicken. I think they will like some Creole red beans or Cuban black beans, right? Like, I felt like it would resonate on the more from like a flavor and a cultural perspective, right? They might not be as attuned to like the use of avocado oil or that type of stuff, but I felt like they would understand what we were trying to do as a brand. And thankfully that's played out, man. Today, I would actually, ironically enough, say like Whole Foods and Walmart are probably two of our strongest retailers in terms of just like velocity relative to the category. And so really happy about, you know, the decision to launch there. That's amazing. And also brand partnerships. So you recently had a partnership with Marvel's Black Panther, which was for like my family, like that was a movie that we loved and we had tickets early and we went to see, you know, the first one that came out. I was there at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning. My kids didn't like it, but we were there because we had to see it. It was amazing. So like the fact that you were able to partner with them to create something special was great. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. First of all, I watched, you know, the first Black Panther back in 2018. I was in the thick of like developing a dozen cousins. So at that point we hadn't launched yet, but I was working on the idea kind of full time. And I remember sitting in the movie theater. And first of all, it was an amazing film, right? Like I'm sure we all had that experience of seeing the representation, the storytelling, just the quality of it, of the movie. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, if I ever get the chance to work with them, like, I would love to do something like this is four years ago, right? Four years prior to being able to do it. But I was like, I just in my head, I was thinking about how we could tell the story around like the African diaspora and the impact on a lot of the foods that we make, even though we're not an African food brand per se. So much of the foods of the Caribbean and Latin America will have been influenced by the movement of West African people into, into the Western hemisphere. And so formerly enslaved African people. Right. And so. I knew I wanted to do it back then. And then from then, it was just a matter of like biding my time. I was always like checking the Disney updates to see, okay, when's the Black Panther sequel? What's the launch date? Have they locked in the launch date yet? And finally, they did lock it in for 2022. And we reached out to, you know, the Disney licensing team and we pitched the idea. Thankfully, they were really supportive of it. And they were great partners, honestly, throughout. Like it was one of, one of my best like brand partnership experiences just in terms of like how um, they were on top of everything. They gave good feedback. They gave timely feedback. Like they didn't make it a difficult thing to execute. And so really appreciative of that. So how long from the initial touch base with them did the product line launch? 11 months. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. We had our very first conversation with them 11 months before it ultimately like was shipped to consumers. 
Wow. Okay. That's a long lead time. You know, the first three or four months is just negotiations, right? Like, okay, what does the contract structure look like? Can you do this flavor instead of that flavor? Like, you know what I mean? That type of stuff. I would take from signed contract to launch, maybe six or seven months, but it was still, you know, meaningful. As founders, sometimes we get kind of into our businesses and we don't take care of ourselves well. But I'm wondering, like, how do you take care of yourself? Like, what do you do for wellness? A great question. Also, maybe a probably opportunity for continued growth from my <laughs> state. I can share. So first of all, I have two young daughters. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And so a lot of my time outside the office is spent with them. And so, you know, over the last few years, I've learned kind of my playbook for mental health, if you will, is just like, number one, having dinner with the family every night, right? So like unplugging at a certain point, giving them my full attention, talking about their school day, answering the random questions that they have and things they want to talk about, right? So that actually for me has been great because, you know, as a founder, sometimes you can just have the business in the back of your mind all the time. And so having those two young ones to like really pull my attention is helpful at times. So that's one thing I would say. Second is I try to get outside every day, whether that's by way of riding my bike, taking the girls to the park, sometimes taking a short walk to the store. Like I have found that like just being indoors perpetually is not good for my mood, you know? So I think having a little bit of that outdoor time has been helpful. And then the last thing I would say is just building one of those themes on Saturdays. I try to have like active rest, you know what I mean? Again, it's like, I'm not the type of person who can just chill on the couch or lay in bed because in my mind, I'll be like writing a presentation in my head or <laughs> you know, I'll be pre-drafting some emails that I'm going to send out as soon as I can get back in front of my computer, right? And so instead, what I try to do is like have the days really, really actively planned, uh, whether that's going to a museum, going to the beach, taking a hike, generally spend the day with the full family. Then the evenings, you know, my wife and I will try to get a date night in and so Again, just trying to have them be like well thought out and active so that my mind can be locked in as opposed to just sometimes you just have a lazy day. Like those have kind of gone away from me. I don't do those that much anymore. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm trying to get back to that, but it's challenging not to think about work for sure. Do the girls understand what you do? For sure, man. Do they think everybody has a line of beans and rice in the grocery store? Man, I'll tell you what, man. It's one of the great joys. So my eldest daughter, who is five, first of all, I'll take her shopping sometimes, or her mother will take her shopping, and she spots it nine times out of ten. If it's like if they go to Target and they roll down the meals aisle, she'll stop and grab it. Even if you know, my wife is of course not buying our beans from the supermarket because it's not usually on her shopping list. My daughter will see it, stop her, call it out. She has like a little toy kitchen in our house, and in the pantry is a bunch of like a dozen cousins' products that she's. <laughs> cook with them. And I think she just takes a lot of pride in it, man. She comes to the office, you know, she's met the team. So I feel like she feels very much like it's, you know, the family business and she's a part of it. Her face is on the package. There's little doodles of each of the cousins. So she's on there and she feels, you know, connected to it that way. But I think it's really cool for her and for me to see it through her. Yeah, it's definitely really cool. So at Hudson Kitchen, we have what I call the money bell, where we ring it when we're celebrating something. It's in the lobby of our facility. And I'm wondering, like, what are you celebrating right now? Man, if I had to ring one bell right now, I would say some really big distribution wins this spring. We just launched our bone broth rices chain-wide at Publix, which is an account that we've been like slowly working on for years and a really big retailer, obviously, in the Southeast. We just launched our entree sauces into a thousand Walmart stores. So again, that's like a big, you know, big slice of the country. And then we have our seasoning sauces launching at uh, Whole Foods next month. Whole Foods is our first 
national retail partner. And so to kind of still be able to expand with them and to add new products is really exciting. And so I know that's technically three things, but I'll just cluster <laughs> like at the end of the day, when you create something, you want as many people as possible to be able to get it, to buy it, to enjoy it, to have it in their homes. And so retailers are a big part of making that happen. So I'm really excited about those three. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So thank you for being on the Food Means Business Podcast. Please let everyone know where they can find out about you and A Dozen Cousins. Yes, you can find us at www.adozencousins.com. You can find us at Instagram, A Dozen Cousins. Connect with us. Try the product if you haven't already. And thank you again. I appreciate it. The Food Means Business Podcast was produced by Hudson Kitchen. It is recorded at the studio at Kearney Point and mixed and edited by Wild Home Podcasting. Our theme song is by Damien DeSandes, and I'm your host, Janaba Johnson-Jones. Follow Hudson Kitchen on Instagram, at The Hudson Kitchen, and to get food business bites right in your inbox, sign up for our newsletter at thehudsonkitchen.com forward slash newsletter. Listen, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Until next time. <laughs>